When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. The Hale Varsity Radio Saturday Morning Show, presented by the Nebraska Lottery. Strap yourselves in. Here are your hosts, Chris Schmitz. Y'all don't even know he was a virgin until he's 28, and now, roll time. And Mark Cranach. Time has come for someone to put his foot down. And that foot is me. Welcome to it. Weekend editions here. It's Hale Varsity Radio presented by the Nebraska Lottery. Chris Schmidt, Mark Cranach, Will Wilson in this morning. As, uh, he had a thriller last night when we talked high school basketball. Grand Island, Isaac Trout, a stunning, shocking overtime upset road win against Lincoln Northeast. I have a chance to How is to that see... kid, by the way? Isaac Trout, pretty legit. He's incredible. I have not seen him uh, in person. Willie, how how will how how was he last night, man? As good uh, as advertised. He's pretty legit. The both games I've uh, called of his, he's he had twenty four plus. So and he's legit. He can shoot it from anywhere on the floor. He can play any position. He he is good. That's impressive. Now Cranach, he's another Nebraskan that is not going to be at Nebraska. Well, where's dive he going? Into, he's going to Virginia. That's right. That's right. Virginia. Okay. Yep. You know, they, they lost to a 16 seed, but also followed up by winning a national championship the year later. That Virginia. Uh, so uh, the yeah, topic. Let's go to of, Charlottesville. Very uh, welcoming it, place. <laughs> Good job, well, Isaac. There, there's, there's that. Go help uh, unite the right. Uh, the, the topic of <clears throat> in-state talent uh, getting – out of state and the week from hell for coach Hoiberg it may continue today we'll dive into that with Nebraska basketball good news is Husker baseball is underway with practices and they gear up to start the season February 18th down in the heart of Texas NFL on our mind wow oh wow what a weekend last weekend of NFL coverage and plays and finishes, uh, we'll check the, the, the Nebraska uh, O-meter this weekend with uh, Cincinnati trying to get to their first Super Bowl and Chief fans hoping for a third straight Super Bowl. The NFC's the NFC. And, oh, yeah, it's a uh, recruiting weekend here for juniors for Nebraska. Numbers to get in today at 466 3776 466-377-6800-825-5865. can email Chris at HaleVarsity.com and find us on Twitter at Schmidt underscore Radio Chris Schmidt. For Will Wilson at uh, Willie on the radio. Cranach is anti-Twitter right now. Good for you, cowboy. What do you know this week, Mark? You know, did did you see Dirk's... um research on exactly how many wins Hoiberg and Frost have. Yes. And how it was put into context. You may not have seen this, but let me just tell you. Okay. So in this recent stretch since Hoiberg has been on board, 
they've combined for, I believe it is, what is it, 59 Power 5 losses? Mm-hmm. Something like that. And that is the most of any football-basketball combination in the Power 5 by, like, nine games. So, like, when we complain and when we talk and when we lament the amount of losses that have showed up and how frustrating it is to watch and all that, you know, there's part of you that's just like, okay, we have to, you know, look at the positive. Look at the po- But it is quite literally this combination that's been going on the last three years. Like, the worst combination when it comes to wins and losses in the Power Five. Like, the worst. They're, they're, how many schools are in the Power Five? Like, 65 around there? Yep, 65. Yep, the, the major conferences, and then you have the, the, terms the, the of major conferences sports, for basketball. Yeah. In terms of your revenue sports, nobody does it worse than Nebraska the last three years. Nobody. Like, the worst. And you think of some of the schools that are in the Power Five, and you're like, nah, it couldn't be. But no, it's true. They have combined for more losses than any other Power 5 school. Not Vanderbilt, nope. Not Kansas, nope. Not Purdue, which, you know, of course not Purdue, but you know what I mean. Mm. Rutgers? What? Rutgers? (laughs) You're getting outperformed by Rutgers. In football and in basketball. Football and basketball. That and you is... might get out. You might get outperformed by Rutgers again today for the clean sweep. And listen, well, it's not fair. They run too fast. And shoot, <laughs> Cranach, too well. That that was that was kind of a uh, a follow up storm. The Michigan game was the Michigan game this year, right? And you're like, okay, got out of hand. What happened? Oh yeah, they quit. And then a few games later. You see minimal effort and a team absolutely on fire against you with uh, with Rutgers beating you by 27 points. And that's what sets Nebraska fans off is not only if you get beat, but if you get dominated. And who's doing it to you? Is it Switzer and Oklahoma? Is it Miami and the is it the U and... Is it an Orange Bowl? Are they the number two team in the country? Is it Kansas or is it Norm Stewart? Or I mean, go down the list, right? Go down the list of maddening losses in blowout fashion. Hell, even look at the, 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 the Big Ten title game, right? I mean, that has scarred many. And then this is your run-of-the-mill regular season. Wednesday night, Big Ten, BTN showcase game. And, and Rutgers destroys you like you're an NAIA team. And it, it shouldn't work that way when you look at the recruiting class and just the, the pedigree. I mean, you got to go yeah. play ball and win, and you got to do the little things, and it's development and coaching, and it's also vetting. Nebraska's picked the wrong guys three years in a row. I mean, Cam Mack, Teddy Buckets, you could argue Verge, right? I mean, those are, those are three personalities that have been brought into the, the room in a 
transfer-heavy, a saturated transfer world in college basketball, and it doesn't always work out. I get it, but you need to be more competitive and have some more heart. Nebraska's been better at that, but they still just don't do the smart basketball play time after time, and that's what is going to make today and the attendance today give or take eight or 9,000. Maybe with the mid-50s and some sunshine today, you'll want to get out and head to the rail yard. I hope you do. I hope you go support Nebraska basketball. But it's awful tough to do so because of what they're what, – it's not just that they're losing like Dirk Dirk Rowe, but how they're losing. And that's, that's the number – that's the Achilles heel for Nebraska football fans. Uh, football, let's flip it around. Football went three and nine. They made some stupid – mistakes or were self-inflicted crane act but man they were competitive they they showed fight and they were right there many nebraska fans were ticked that nebraska couldn't clean up some of their mistakes that was some coaching right well you have mistakes and then you have a certain attitude right now at least that's how some fans feel with uh with this program and you're not you're not losing to programs uh, that that you shouldn't get killed killed by killed by blown out by with your yeah. home state talent. That's that's the insult to injury as well. Well, and look, the let's compare the two because the level of losing is similar between sure. football and basketball. But basketball's outclassing uh, football in terms of losing, really. But uh, they're close. They're very close. They're very futile. They're few. They're they're not. They're. I mean, they're well below five hundred. Put it that way. Both both programs well below five hundred. But the, you're right. The difference is, basketball looks often, often enough, like they have no shot from the get go. Like, and I understand that Purdue is a top 10 program mm-hmm. and it's hard to maybe compare Nebraska to a top 10 program given the state of affairs right now. But when you just physically look at them on the court next to Purdue, it's, I mean, it's over. You're just like, Nope, there's Nebraska has no chance. And that's really discouraging and disheartening when just, it's so obvious physically that you will not be able to match up. And when you have, a team that consistently just does not have a point guard. Like that's like not having a quarterback. Like you just like, what? Like when was the last time Nebraska just had a legit point guard? Well, he's in the NBA now, but he was hit or miss last year. Banton. I mean, mean, it's not, it's not like they haven't brought talent in here or, or haven't seen talent go to the next level. But man, they've not. It's not worked together. That's the that's the tough part. It's right, and then you compare it to football, and especially this year, like yes, yeah, super frustrating that you that you lost, and but that was a lot of self inflicted stuff. And Nebraska was not run off the field and embarrassed by anybody. Never, they no. weren't. They weren't outclassed. Nebraska very well could have beaten Michigan. Very well could have beat Oklahoma. Nebraska's uh, nine and three if they handle their business last year. Could, just yeah, them, could have them, beat Ohio themselves. State. Yeah, yeah, could could have beat Ohio State. I mean, it's just just point blank. The, the you know the team is not that far behind. You could tell that there's somewhat of a foundation there of competence of 
acumen of physical readiness, all those things were the, all those things were in place last year. We'll see if that continues this year because you did have the advantage of a plethora of six year guys, which is a on defense, especially which huge advantage, right? I mean, the, those are super smart guys that know the defense in and out physically. They're very mature. I mean, uh, you know, Nebraska definitely benefited from that and it still led to three and nine. So we'll see. So we'll see how this year goes. But basketball, I'm looking at what you're trying to build on, and I, I just don't get it. We talked about it last week where there was, what, 27? 27 scholarship human beings since Hoiberg's gotten here. Mm-hmm. You only play with five. And this is only Hoiberg's third year. <laughs> You've had 27 different people on scholarship. What? And and you can't, like, none of, out of those 27, you, you can't stick with, like, five that can get you some buckets, maybe a rebound or two. How about a power five win? The, they have one, what, what is it, one conference Road win, is that it? One in 27, and, and think about that moment. You what? want to talk about dysfunction and, and, and lack of chemistry? I remember that moment vividly. It's a Sunday, and it's Nebraska-Penn State. It's out in Siberia during the winter, and Nebraska beats Penn State on a Teddy Buckets putback at the buzzer. And Teddy, Teddy Allen runs off the court, Fist pumping and just jacked, right? Oh man, I, I, I got it. I got it at the buzzer. <laughs> he runs off the court like he's Bo Jackson leaving the the kingdom. All right, the old Monday night game, you know, where he ran through the tunnel. Yeah. That's what Teddy's doing. He's running off the court at the buzzer, clear buzzer beater. Nebraska finally stops a losing streak, and the rest of the bench there is staring at him like he's crazed, all right? Like like he's a Chiefs fan that, that got on the field and, and got smoked by the Buffalo Bills during a dead ball. No one else followed Teddy because they couldn't stand Teddy. They, weren't ha- they were happy they won, but they celebrated amongst themselves. Teddy ran onto the floor and celebrated with himself. <laughs> then ran to, the, ran to the locker room. Go look it up. But that, that is a perfect picture of Nebraska basketball in the Hoiberg era. You got some guy that can ball, that's off on his own island, and you got everybody else over here kind of looking around. And yeah. it, it, it ain't working. And the, the question is, these next four games are, air quote, winnable <laughs> yeah, they're all winnable they're all losable in the big 10 but if you don't if this losing streak street you know stretches to 20 against uh, power five programs i mean do you start passing the hat now and, and just blow this thing up before march you can't somebody- 18 and a half million dollar buyout I know, but so 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 say you wait, Mark. It's still fifteen next year, uh, and by then it's going to be family and friends only at PBA. 
So, I mean, what's the difference between 18 and a half and 15? Honestly, three and a half I'd million like, dollars. <laughs> no, I, you know what I mean, though. I mean, what, who, I know. I know. <laughs> talking, but, talking, seeing about a money. What, what, what the hell is the difference between three million? I mean, my thing is this: I, I don't know that he'll fix it, but I'd like to see Fred get next year with new assistants, with a new approach, where they're competitive and they're going after different kids. And I mean, another I think, roster turnover. Well, it's going to happen anyway with the exception of hopefully you get Trey McGowan's and you get Walker to stay. I mean, those two guys would be months, be really nice pillars to build, build around the team. And both those guys are unselfish. They play defense. They, they, they rebound, they play hard, they play for one another. I mean, you'd have a different, I don't know, mentality at least with those two guys as your leaders and the voices of the locker room. I don't know. I mean, they're there and, and now. It, I know. I know. But one, but, but one's, but <laughs> in terms one's of been, wins, losses. I, I know what you're saying. One's been injured, and and one you wouldn't go through, right? You didn't. You didn't start going through Walker offensively till, you know, game seven, eight, or nine, until and you took control of the coach early, right? To where you couldn't do that. Um, yeah. But, all right. So, but just let's go down memory lane real quick. A call a rope. Kevin Cross. Mm-hmm. Shamil Stevenson, Deshaun Burke, Samari Curtis, Hanif Cheatham, Ivan Udrago, Mate Kavas. Forgot about him. Thorir, Thorbarnard, Narnarsarnarnarnarnarsan. How about those names, huh? That's pretty good. Yeah. That was the that was the first year. Want to hear some other names? Please. Let's just hear some names. Remember these guys. Once a Husker, always a Husker. Teddy Allen, Elijah Wood. Uh, let's see. Tra- let's see. Uh, who are some other new guys? Let's see. Eduardo Andre showed up. Still here. You know, that's that's some new guys. And then you got this year's team. It, there's actually the most carryover from last year's team to this year's team. And I think it's like four human beings maybe. But now you got C.J. Wilcher and Alonzo Verge. You got Trey McGowan's came back. Koran McPherson, Bryce McGowan's, Kobe Webster, Lat Mayan's been on the team for a couple of years. Derek Walker's actually been here since year one. Trevor Lakes, Keon Edwards, Casey Tominaga, Wilhelm Breidenbach, Denim Dawson sitting out right now. But like, that is so many people that have come in and out, and you just haven't been able to find a combination that can net you a win or two and it's I, it's just maddening it's just absolutely maddening i and i don't know that's chris it's a good question because the the level of ineptitude is historical here for a program that is you know bona fide legit probably the worst power five basketball program historically mm-hmm. it's the only one that hasn't won a tournament game in the power five ever. no I, I i know that i i just think it's I feel bad that Nebraska fans have had to, to go through this, and it's it's stretches of not boxing out or closing out defensively or taking a, a, a good shot in, in the – I mean, you're going to miss shots. I get it. But against uh, Wisconsin, who didn't play great ball, Cranach, I mean, you're, you're down three – you jack up two stupid threes early in the clock, step back, 
that you've not hit. And in previous games, you've at least been pulled and benched for taking. Didn't happen this game. And that lead turns from three to, I don't know, they're up 10 at some point as they're closing down half. And it all starts with that on offense. And nobody finishes out or closes out or gets back on defense. The bad offense leads to worse defense, leads to the uh, the implosion of yeah. a three-point deficit. You're down six or nine. Now, to Nebraska's credit, they, they went on an 11-0 run to battle back, but they also went eight minutes without any any points, without a basket, without a made field goal. They had two free throws. So I think I think Fred and, and specifically Abdel Nassi says, you know what? We'll be so talented with so many skilled guys that we will just – it doesn't matter, man. We, our, with our offense, we can just out-talent people. By default, the talent – with our shooters, the talent shooting was we're going to bring in cured? is going to beat you. But Go didn't ahead. you think shooting was cured this year? Coming into this, it's supposed, like, it's supposed to be because Tominaga can hit four thousand threes in a row. They're hit, clearly they're, not not contested ones. They're three hundred twenty fourth in three point <laughs> shooting nationally, and that was like that's what this whole thing's supposed to be. It's it's just crazy, man. I mean, it's like it's it's like you you, you want to build this. A run and shoot offense, and you, but you build it around somebody that has no arm. With a bunch right? of like, fo- it's not going to work. Build it around an option quarterback. Uh, we're going to be a power run team, and then you, you know, you bring in a puny scat back or something. Like it's just mm-hmm. you're, you're going to be this three point shooting team that just lets it launch, and you're up and down, and you're three hundred, so you can't hit threes. Mm-hmm. Like you're sunk right at that point. It's just it's. Uh, I don't know, man. You know what's I, funny? It's, just, it's not clear what they're trying to do. Get How back to the NBA. It, it, is what? It's funny. So they're, they're trying to get back to the NBA. That's it's that 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 was their plan. Let's come here. Let's bring in elite talent that gets to the league, and let me get back to the NBA. Go ahead, Will. No, Cranach's talking about the three-point shooting, how bad it is. I'm convinced the best three-point shooting we've seen from this team was that exhibition against Colorado. Yep. When it didn't matter. Yeah, and that, no one got to see that one, but <laughs> that that was that was the yeah, and that was a big W <laughs> right. in Colorado, a pretty pretty good program. But right now, Colorado's like Colorado's like that doesn't count. <laughs> I know Nebraska dusted them. It's yeah. so, but you're man, Trev. It's a difficult decision that Trev's going to have to make. I mean, because le- quite literally, eighteen and a half million dollars. To pay a coach not to coach his, what is historically the worst Power Five basketball program, anyways, mm-hmm. that's a tough pill to swallow, man. While you're trying to raise funds for the new facility and all that, and then football, other things, you're looking at changing up well. the stadium. You know, you got to finish up the track. You know, swimming and diving needs a new thing, and you're just sitting there hemorrhaging cash to pay coaches not to coach here. That's tough, especially given the recent history. I think Bo is still on the payroll. <laughs> I mean, he, on. he was done by 2020. But here's here's the question I have as an, for you as a Nebraska fan. You know, are you past the point of no return with the Hoiberg era? Like, f- level of faith, are you 
Are you done forever? Are you done for just this season? And are you done if he returns? Nebraska fans will come back. Look, you, you you win, you win, they'll return. I get it. Yeah, you pump out a winner, Nebraska will be there. Any sport, mm-hmm. Nebraska fans will be there. Any sport. Uh, it's just the basketball program is in such a hole. They're so tough to watch. They don't represent. It's just that's bad, man. It's it's just bad, and you're just like, what what do you do in that situation if you're Trev? Like, there's not a lot of hope either, right? There's there's not like it's not like there's like, well, but once this happens, then things will start to turn around. No, you're looking at the whole thing, and you're like, yeah, I don't know about all this. Well, <laughs> just, your, your your approach has been off and wrong the first three years. Yeah. So. Where's your level of faith that it's going to be different because this is what you do and this is how you did it to be successful the last time you were in college? Can you reinvent so, yourself? But if you're Trev, what are your op- what are your good what's a good option right now? There isn't one. <laughs> Fire him and pay 18 and a half million dollars. That's a terrible option. Right? Keep him. Literally the worst Power 5 record over three years with 27 scholarship athletes coming in and out neither of them able to generate any w's well think about this you're, you're putting guys into the it's not like you haven't had talent here i mean you've got you've got banton and you'll have mcgowan's who i mean last last draft board i saw we had him going to orlando 31st overall so he's a first round yeah. pick he keeps blowing up uh, the, the the draft boards. You're you're in contention in a lot of your ball games, you know, and and you just you misstep. We'll uh, dive into some football thoughts and a lot of basketball. Man, uh, just tough for Nebraska fans. You, if you uh, are a big red supporter, you hope the guys can put it together today against Rutgers. No one <laughs> no one likes this, especially down there. Uh, with the kids and, and the coaching staff. They want to go get some wins. Uh, it was an incredible weekend of can you believe what you just saw with NFL finishes. We'll dive into some Nebraska thoughts with Mr. Blackshirt himself. Charlie McBride always joins us on Monday. Uh, Coach McBride's part of the Rewind here shortly. Brandon Vogel next hour. The Iron Horse, Gary Sharp. It's a weekend edition. Hail Varsity were presented by the Nebraska Lottery. Now back with Hail Varsity Radio, presented by the Nebraska Lottery with Chris Schmidt and Mark Cranach. It's Hail Varsity Radio, presented by the Nebraska Lottery. Uh, still uh, reveling in uh, the incredible 48 hours of football with the NFL. Plenty of Nebraska thoughts as they try and wrap up recruiting for 2022. It is a Monday. Time for Monday with Charlie. Mr. Blackshirt himself, Charlie McBride, joins us. Coach, uh, how do you take what happened last night? 25 points in two minutes? Horrible defense or, or just incredible offense? Well, the first thing I do is hire the director who made the movie. <laughs> you are so right. What a movie it was, wasn't it? Holy moly. i never seen anything like it. I mean, we, you know, we I had my, my younger brother here and his wife, and we both we watched it. 
and no, nobody here could ever believe it. Could believe one thing. I mean, it was unbelievable. But it was a, it was fun. I mean, it was. You know, I, how can they do something better than that? That's I don't. You can't. It was that. It was that perfect, right? <laughs> you know, you've seen Brady come back a hundred times. I mean, it all it seems like, but this was over the top. I mean, this was like both of them coming back at the same time. Now, I, I, I was at a game not similar to it, but I got a taste of what that was. Was uh, back when the Cardinals played the Steelers. Oh yeah, yeah. and and the, and the Cardinals with about a minute and thirty seconds left scored, and of course. The thing is, that if I always said what bothered me the most about being around young people is, is when things like that happen, they jump around and hug each other, and that's the kiss of death right there. Okay, and and then I then I've said this before, but but Yogi Berra was right when he said the game ain't over till the fat lady sings, mm-hmm. and uh, <laughs> that that's that was what happened last night. I mean, you you and they're all hugging each other and jumping up and down, and the next minute it's the other team, and it's just crazy, you know. I mean, it's so that that's the thing I think yeah, that that gets me the most in it is how the players take assume that they've won the game, and that's happened more than once. And, uh, you know, it just uh, drives you, almost drives you nuts. Because, you know, when the Steelers got the ball with a minute and 30 seconds left, you know, they just took the ball down the field and 10 seconds left and they they scored. And that was the end of the game. And I had a guy sitting next to me who was a Steeler fan. And he got up and left at a minute and 30 seconds when the Cardinals scored. I said, listen to me, are you going to leave your team? He, he said, yeah, they're going to lose. And I said, you come here and sit down for a minute. Well, then they won, and he looked at me like I was some kind of guy that knew something was going on. Or crystal something. ball I don't time. Know, but yeah, the crystal ball guy. <laughs> but, uh, you know, that, that, that last night just it took the cake. Charlie McBride's with us on Monday with Charlie Hale of City Radio. You're talking about that, that epic Super Bowl between the Cardinals and in Pittsburgh, and that last-second throw to San Antonio Holmes it was just on the money. Coach, you've seen a lot of quarterbacks over the years and a lot of different offenses, and your black shirts really were, were good to great against a lot of people. What do you think of Josh Allen? And I know you saw him when Wyoming was here. I remember you were back for that game. Yeah, and what do you th- what do you think of Mahomes? How would you try and defend him? Because they they it's not just them. Yes, they're mobile and good, but they've got weapons too around them. They got really good weapons. I I, I honestly don't know if you can. I I think he may be the best deep ball thrower in in football, and and I think what happened when he was recruited, he wasn't a guy that was highly recruited. Mm-hmm. Uh, he was a guy that uh, you know, Coach Bowl saw something in. And and you know and then took him on as a, as a scholarship player, and look at where he is now. I mean that's a good example of, you know he wasn't a walk on, but that's a good example of what it, what happens sometimes to kids that do walk on that work hard, and he's he's just a big strong fast man. <laughs> you know I don't know how you explain any more than that. There aren't many of those kind of guys around. Uh, there's some guys that are fast and quick, and we've seen them in the NFL. But 
he's he's got an arm that's a cannon, and that you know, and then and then you go to the other side of the ball, and you got uh, McCombs, and he and he's you know he's crazy. I mean, he's so poised. Nothing seems to bother him. Uh, I think he's the one guy that I've seen that, you know, Brady, you've seen him get hot on the bench. You've seen him do a lot of things. But this kid, you know, he just kind of hangs on to him and believes in himself. And he believes in his players. And, uh, you know, that's that's that's, that's really an interesting part of, of what he is, and I think that's what makes a lot of good quarterbacks is their it's their vibes that that he, they pass on really. Charlie McBride's with us a Monday with Charlie Hale Varsity Radio. We're talking quarterbacks NFL weekend and uh, the magic that we all got to soak in. What do you think of Brady and how that went down? They looked dead in the water. They came back, and then, like you t- like you said earlier, you got too excited, and uh, you, you busted defensively a couple of different times to Cooper Cup. Yeah, well, you know he he's you know when you play with him after he's done that so many times, you know you almost think that that's what's supposed to happen, and and I think you know that the, the players actually you know believe that that's what's going to happen because he's on our team. And I think that that's where he has it now. Yesterday, a guy that has never had anything ends up being the quarterback. Because I've been around Detroit for a few years, oh, yeah. and this poor guy has, you know, been trashed. And I, I'm surprised he's still alive. But um, you know, he, he probably deserves it. You know, and that's just the way I, I looked at it. The guy deserves to have something good happen in his life. After being in Detroit, it's like doing time. Oh, that's right. Well, I think they'll get better, but gee whiz, it, it just seems like it. They can't get they can't get the ball going. They they trade people that kind of like the Cardinals were for a long time. And you got a family business, and and you you handle people uh, different because of money. Mm-hmm. Uh, I would assume that a family business doesn't have as much as a big corporation or. Somebody that's got money pouring in all over the time, insurance or whether trucking or whatever the case is. Charlie McBride's with us. Coach, uh, I want to go back to end of game execution <laughs> and specifically when you were coaching, is there a is there a game that where you guys came out on top that the defense won it or the offense held on that, that sticks with you? your time in Nebraska? Well, I think, uh, yeah, of course, you know, the Missouri game is, it was a game that, uh, you know, was, a, you know, just a, a blessing, I mean, for us, you yeah. know, in the case of, uh, when, you know, and I think each year, if you go back and you look at the national championship teams, there's always one game in there, and, and I've always said it. And you'll hear guys say it. You don't. You don't just do it a lot of times because of players or because of this and that. You do it because of luck sometimes, and and one play can make a difference in whether you're the national champion or you're not. And I think we saw that when we played Missouri that time. At least it gave us an opportunity that we knew if we won the rest of our games that we had a chance. Mm-hmm. And uh, you know that's just the way things go. But uh, 
it's 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 a, it's it's a tough thing to, as a coach to decide what you want. You know that that's really tough because you work on prevent defenses, let's say, but then you get down to it and you have all of a sudden you're thinking maybe we have too much stuff, and then pretty soon it happens and. You know what you have and what they know is is monumental in in whether you save save a game. And there's been times when we haven't had to do it, but there's been times at the end of games when you know we played uh, you know we played deep with our safeties and our, our defensive backs. We moved them back, mm-hmm. um, and and it was you know that that's the one thing you don't want to have happen is the long ball. Well, they have so much more athletic people in the NFL and plus the time element they have to work on different things, you know, it's a lot, a lot different. Would you you have done anything different with the the Buffalo game with the the way Buffalo defended uh, Kansas city or would you be, were you, I mean, you saw Hill catch it and go 64 yards in the blink of an eye. So (laughs) what's the answer? Uh, I guess is my question. Should Buffalo have done something different? I don't, you know, in pro ball, I, I think at that time it's pretty hard to say we're going to double cover a, a receiver because they're all so good. Sure. You know, I'm, and, and quarterbacks are reading things so well. And in college, they aren't that. It's not they're not that good. I mean, they they have an idea and they've been told and they worked on it, but it's not like they they really know. I mean, and so if you can disguise your coverages, is the biggest thing that we did. That was. That was monumental. I mean, way back, I, mean, I remember when Bob Thornton was our secondary coach, and he was, he was really good at that. I know one time he changed the jersey and got <laughs> everybody was wondering, who is that guy out there? <laughs> you know, so they wouldn't know where a certain players lined up because he thought that was that was giving away what we were doing. But um, you know that that passed, and and but, but that that was the thing that, uh, that you know that we we were probably noted for, you know, as far as our defense was one of the things was our disguise of our secondary and our linebackers. Charlie, uh, I mean, I don't mean to be a Monday morning quarterback or a Monday morning defensive coordinator, if you will, but with 13 seconds on the clock against Patrick Mahomes, you got to think. He's probably going to be getting that ball up pretty fast. What's the point of bringing four rushers whenever you could bring one or two guys and drop eight, nine guys into coverage? Well, you can. That's right. Exactly. And some teams do that. You know, they'll look like they're they'll look like they're in coming with four or you know whatever. And you know, there's going to be that's where the disguise comes in and and different things. And you don't give you make the quarterback read on the move. You don't make them pre-read. You know, you, you you try to you try to get them to mess them up and don't know which side the coverage is coming. You can see in the game where they move the uh, the one back over to the other side because he sees they're outnumbered. And I mean that's that's common sense. I mean they just they need another guy over here, so they'll move the guy over. And a lot of times that is a good disguise for running the football. But most of the time, it's it's usually something that has to do with a you know with a with a with a, um, a running play or something like that that you're going to do that. That's the only time you'd move them over maybe when you saw something like that. But in general, it's to pick up blitzes. Coach McBride is with us on Monday with Charlie Hale Varsity Radio. 
Coach, we're going to talk with a couple of former Chiefs here shortly, Eric Warfield and uh, Neil Smith. What do you remember about Neil Smith? Well, he's probably the greatest athlete that I ever coached. I mean, he's wow. He was a spe- he was special, and I I'll tell you what what you, what people don't understand is when I Jack Jack uh, uh, Pierce was the recruit Neil, and uh, I, he he put a film on my desk, and and he wanted me to look at this defensive end at the high school that Neil was playing at. And at the time, we didn't know anything about it. We didn't even know his name. And uh, I kept looking at the film, and I kept saying, who was the tackle? Well, what happened was the defensive end got hurt, and Neil was put at defensive end, and he was a scorpion. I mean, he was all over the place. And I said, Jack, maybe we better find out who this is. But if you ask Neil what he weighed, I think he probably weighed about 218, 220. And yeah. for a defensive lineman, you're thinking, what the heck? But that's kind of taught us a lesson that, that our outside our outside guys, and at some point, can be, you don't have to be that big. But as he, if I remember right, he was about 265. You know, uh, and it, I think exactly, you know, if I remember right, when the pros weighed him, he was 262, I think. But he was running the, in the 4-4s. Four Jeez. And uh, I don't think we ever told him that. He went <laughs> but, second overall. But, I mean, because you had him and Broderick yeah. and Danny Noonan, man. He had a great line. Well, we had a pursuit drill one time, and a couple of the pro guys said, um, can he run? I mean, you know, it is simple. I said, yeah, he can really run. But if you watch our pursuit drill, you'll get an idea. Well, we had a, the drill was designed to run on the other side of the field away from him. And he, he just took off and he, you know, caught the guy at the goal line. Mm-hmm. And I mean, you didn't have to ask that they, a clock won't, a clock will not tell you game speed when you're wearing pads and things like that and that's one thing he could do is he 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 could carry his pads and he could run probably the same speed with pads or with in shorts so you know you don't know because we never timed him in pads mm-hmm. but you know he he had he was special i mean he, he not only was he instinctive which you don't know till you get him but I, I just remember when Dick Buckus went to linebacker from being a center because they found out how instinctive mm-hmm. he was, and he made up for his speed by being instinctive. Well, Neil had the speed to go with it being instinctive. So he was really something different. I mean, he was, you know, he was a freak. He's uh, He almost broke that drum last night leading the Chiefs out. Uh, Coach McBride's with us. Coach, we'll talk again Monday. Enjoy another weekend of football, all right? Okay. Well, say hello to those guys for me. I will. Will do, Coach. Okay. Thank you. Thanks for having me. Bye now. There he is, Mr. Blackshirt. Eric Warfield's next on Hale Varsity. The Hale Varsity Radio Saturday Morning Show, presented by the Nebraska Lottery. Strap yourselves in. Here are your hosts, Chris Schmidt. Y'all don't even know he was a virgin until he's 28, and now... And Mark Cranach. Time has come for someone to put his foot down. And that foot is me. Welcome to it. It's Hour 2. It's Hale Varsity Radio presented by the Nebraska Lottery Weekend Edition. Chris Schmidt, Mark Cranach. Big thanks to Will Wilson for sitting in 
this morning in uh, driving the bus uh, at to Willie on the radio is where you can follow Will Wilson, Chris Schmidt at Schmidt underscore radio. And at some point, we'll get Cranach back on social media. Busy hour one. We heard from Charlie McBride, a Monday with Charlie, the part of the rewind. We spent a good portion just dissecting and kind of shaking our head at Nebraska basketball. Just when you think you're out of head shakes, you have, uh, well, you have the Wisconsin game that was competitive, a bit teasing. And then a constant slap in the face for the next three years with one of your own and Chucky Hepburn coming in and doing uh, pretty big-time things. Uh, It wasn't for lack of effort that Nebraska didn't get Chucky or other in-state prospects. It's just the reality of where the program's at. Spring football is 70 days away till kickoff, but who's counting? I am. And uh, big weekend for Nebraska with uh, some of their future prospects for 2023 and 2024. And, of course, signing day looms on Wednesday. Is A.J. Allen going to be in? And the bigger question is, is Nebraska going to be able to land a pass rusher uh, in the uh, the portal cycle here post-spring? We welcome in managing editor with HaleVarsity.com and Magazine and uh, read his book. Uh, with John Cook, Dream Like a Champion. Read his work with Hale Varsity Magazine and .com. Brandon Vogel at Brandon L. Vogel. Vogues, how'd you spend your Friday night, man? What do you know? Well, not a whole lot. Stayed home and uh, watched a movie, and that was about it. So, nothing too, uh, nothing too exciting. So, w- were there any elements of the movie that crossed over into Nebraska basketball? Were there pieces of Nebraska basketball in this movie? Was it a thriller? Uh, was it uh, a drama? Uh, was it a comedy? Help me out here. Uh, it, was, it, was, it was a drama. Uh, I watched The Card Counter, which uh, if you haven't seen yet, it was directed by the writer of Taxi Driver. And I would, that would certainly classify the movie as bleak. Um, so, yeah, in that sense, it was like just watching Nebraska Best. <laughs> we have a Brandon bleak Vogel sighting. Brandon Vogel is with us uh, on Hale Varsity Radio. All right, let's, let's role play. You are Trev Alberts, Brandon. <laughs> you are Trev Alberts. You have Fred Hoiberg. You have an $18.5 million buyout. You have a program that is the worst in the Power Five. What do you do as Trev Alberts? end of this year what do you do what are you weighing and what do you ultimately do oh um i think the the tough part of this question is um i mean there's no easy part of it but the toughest part is i'm not even sure what you're weighing um because because of that buyout like i i think you almost have to 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 wait at least a year but you do that, that's where the what are you weighing comes in because this roster is going to turn over entirely, pretty much, again, you would presume. Um, it certainly doesn't seem like things are going great there by any means. And, I mean, that's just kind of reality of college athletics now. So I think that's the biggest issue for me with Nebraska basketball is you've had basically entirely new rosters three times now, like, you know, pretty much. And then 
there's no kind of like it, you're not you can't say they're at well they're just at step two and before they're going to win consistently they got to be at step six it just feels like step one three different times and, and yeah. that's the thing that gives me the most hesitation about the viability of this going forward so so what do you like you're because you're right everything that you just laid out um is absolutely correct but it's like I just have, a, have such a hard time seeing, okay, Fred, you're out of here, and we're just going to pay $18.5 million. I just cannot – it's so hard to fathom when you consider that, you know, the swim team needs a new facility. you got to finish up the track. You're still raising money for the, you know, for the new football facility. You, you've paid out millions and millions and millions to Riley and Bo and Callahan – so I, I don't I don't know if that's so viable. So if you keep Fred this year, what can you do as an AD or what do you advise as an AD to try to make this thing work for maybe one last year? Yeah, um, I mean, I think you 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 have to kind of get in there and get a little more hands on than than I think most ADs probably even want to be. Uh, like we saw with football. I mean, it, it was clear that there were conversations happening there about what needed to uh, be addressed. And, you know, the visible aspect of that to this point is, of course, the coaching changes. You can look at that again in basketball, but even when, when Nebraska did that for football, Alberts himself said, like, look, the track record of this is, is not very good uh, of, of these things working out. And, and it isn't. Like, so many cases, you know, this becomes kind of the you have a coach who you know it, it maybe it hasn't come together or he's well liked, which is certainly the case with with Hoiberg, and you don't want to get rid of them. So you you play the the second best card you have, which is you make some staff changes, and you hope somehow that kind of shakes loose the results you're hoping to get. But more, more times than not, it, it doesn't because. College athletics, like, we can talk about talent, and, you know, talent's important. I don't want to say that it isn't, but, like, winning consistently at college athletics, it doesn't matter if it's basketball or football or anything else, it's so much about coaching. And to be able to create those teams that athletes today, and it's becoming even more important as players are able to move around more freely, a place players want to be. Um, that's what gets you, you know, wins in March, but with Nebraska – we're talking about let's get a win in conference play at this point. Um, so there's there's just so far to go that I don't know how much change there is you can effectively make in one offseason. Brandon Vogels with us, HailVarsity.com and Magazine Managing Editor, Weekend Edition, Hail Varsity Radio. Vogues and Cranach and, and Will, this, this kind of feels to me like a, a 2.0 of Mike Riley. And, and hold, just hang on a second. What I mean by that is, let's look at some of the, the crossover. Knowledgeable coach, coach that's won, coach that's won at, at, at you know, tough spots. I mean, Ames has got some history with, with you know, Johnny Orr and company, but it's still Ames. You get to the NBA. Uh, didn't work out well there, but you were good enough to get to the NBA, and, and you've had sniffs, and will have sniffs back in the NBA if that's what's next for you as far as, you know, assistance or front office or some sort of consultation. 
but it comes down to management style, right? It's not that you don't know offense. It's not that you don't have an eye for talent. It's not that you can't recruit. You've done all of those things, but it's about how you've managed the talent you've brought in with your system. You get great players. Any system can work. And that's how I feel about this here is that from an accountability standpoint and, and how you, you let guys kind of do their own thing. Some guys can, are mature enough to handle it. Some guys are not. And, and that's why I think this has gone sideways. You've given a lot of responsibility to guys that haven't handled responsibility on the court with their decision-making and their execution. Uh, and and that's that's where you're at right now. The difference is is that big elephant being the buyout number, and it's chicken or egg. Do you stay patient, hope it turns around, hope you get a different result with how you try and skin the cat, or does it matter because PBA is going to be a you know a fourth full by the end of the season, and if you bring him back, there's no juice for next season. Hmm. Well, let's look at the straight basketball yeah, element mean, of it too. Because those are all good points, of course. But look, look, look at just hoops. Like, where's your rebounding? Where's that coming from? Regardless of your management style of how you want to coach them, which I believe are factors, Chris. So I'm not, like, minimizing what you're saying. Mm-hmm. But at, at the same time, who is going to go toe-to-toe down low with Indiana's bigs? With well, you're asking bigs. you're asking Walker to do it, and you're hoping your other six nine forward, Lat will will help out, and you're going to need your guards to chip in. Well, uh, but and, I'm and, just saying, and, but they're not doing it. But that's that's it, your answer, right? <laughs> Nor do I believe that they're actually capable of being a good rebounding team, right? Like I want to dunk, but I'm five eight, so it ain't happening, right? Right? Like <laughs> I just you know I just don't think they have the body types to compete in the paint to be like a good rebounding team, for example. So I think it's both. It's not only the you can still try, style, though. it's also like the construction of your roster. Like when you saw Nebraska against Purdue, it was like JV versus varsity. Yeah, just they're big There's dudes. just really bad match for the for the Big Ten. Do you think it's kind of both there, Brandon? It, it's not just like one thing that we're talking about here? Yeah, I don't think it is just one thing, you know. Hoiberg, and, and I can say this, like, you know, in, in sort of a different field, uh, I can relate to it. it. Hoiberg is deep into analytics. Like, we know that. He talks about it pretty often. Like, he, he's got this down to kind of here's the optimal version of, of what I want this to be. And, and, and it all makes sense on paper. Like, you know, shot quality. Nebraska's always ranked pretty high in, in the shot quality rankings. But you look at this year, and you just go through the wins. I was looking at it this morning. Um, they shot, I think they had one game. They beat Sam Houston State where they shot 40.7%, but otherwise they're at 54.4, 52.9. Now that's Idaho State and Southern. But, like, even to beat those teams, like – it's just not sustainable. You, you, the the solution, like if, if this is how we want to play, these are the shots we want to get. And we think we brought in the shooters. Now, to your point, Mark, they haven't been able to get that big. That's, you know, ready-made and able to come into the Big Ten and at least give them an inside presence. So it's just such a high threshold for them to even beat bad teams. You, you can't 
only win when you shoot above 50% because there's like four or five teams in the country every year that can do that consistently. Purdue happens to be one of them right now. So it's just, it's one of those things. And, you know, when you do go that deep into the analytics, I think one of the things you always have to be careful of is you set it up and you're like, okay, we spent a lot of time on this. This should work when it's not working the answer can't just be, well, this should work. The answer can't just be shoot better. And I mean, one of these days, Nebraska may just shoot better, could happen today, um, and, and, and get a win here. But that goes to kind of the long-term sustainability or lack thereof in this case. It's just with where they're at right now, it's, it's too high a threshold for them to consistently win. Brandon Vogel's with us, Hale Varsity, Don Common Magazine, Weekend Edition. Vogue's going to shift gears and uh, get your thoughts on uh, Brandon Riley. Uh, check that, uh, Jordan Riley. Jordan Riley. <laughs> yes, Brandon made a great catch and, and spent some time in the NFL. Jordan spent some time in Lincoln for about 16 games and now is in the portal. His departure, does that cause concern for you on the defensive line depth, or do you think Nebraska will – go portal and continue to coach up? Well, I think you're always looking for, for defensive linemen in the portal as they, they come available. Um, it seems like every defensive lineman from Auburn of the past three years has left. Um, so <laughs> they're out there, but the competition's always always fierce for those guys because they're, they're kind of a limited resource. Um, and, you know, you go back to high school recruiting too, like I think a big part of the SEC's dominance of the sport is a lot of those defensive linemen happen to be go to high school in the South and then they happen to go to SEC schools and they're just there's there's not a ton of those guys so the, the departure of Riley you know it, it's tough to point to the stat sheet and say well here's exactly what that means because uh, he hadn't played a ton yet but Nebraska's not real deep at that spot I mean you just you look at the the overall numbers I think they've got well, after Riley left, they've got, what, 10, 11 scholarship defensive linemen. You probably need to bump that number up a, a, a little bit. Um, and what you really need is, is some experience there because I think about 70% of those scholarships are sophomores or younger. So it's, it, it's tough. Um, the biggest thing there, more than kind of the on-field piece of it, is, as you noted, just, just the hit to the depth because Nebraska didn't have a ton there to begin with. Yeah, Brandon, you're totally right because uh, you look at the scholarship numbers there and um, they're pretty low. I, and overall, especially on the inside, I mean, you basically have Casey Rogers and Ty Robinson that have any measure of experience behind them. With I mean, Riley was a shoe-in, I think, as, as a backup. Who, who do you think are the two guys that could man the middle as backups to Robinson and Rodgers? Because you're going to need a couple more. I'd say Nash Hutmacher is one of them, but who's is, – is there an obvious one that's going to be the other guy? No, there's not an obvious one outside of Hutmacher um, because you're looking at, you know – I guess you hope one of the the redshirt freshmen um, is is kind of coming along and just somebody we haven't heard a ton about yet. But even there, you know, it, it doesn't seem like a natural fit. And you know, Nebraska's 
willing to, to shuffle guys around there. But in terms of like pure tackles, Hupmonger's kind of the top example uh, of that younger group coming through. So I think that's a spot. And, and you know, Nebraska was looking around for, for defensive tackle options to the portal to this point, And we'll see. Things will probably slow down a little bit, and then you'll have an uptick again post-spring. But they'll probably be waiting until then, I think, before they find – at least even some, you know, a handful of options that could give them a little bit more size and experience. Vogues, you, you look at the guys behind Rogers, Robinson, and the polar bear. Uh, I mean, we're talking red shirts, Marquise Black, Roquan Buckley, Jalen Weaver. Weaver's a big dude. And this has kind of been the steady progression, not just at Nebraska, but you look at Michigan, you look at Ohio State, I mean, Ohio State's been really good at playing, you know, the redshirt freshman, even Penn State. You get a guy in there and he'll get a few snaps, kind of like Casey Rogers or Robinson did their first year. And then you, you graduate into either more snaps or a starter, right, where you contribute. And then by year three or four, you, you have – a lot under your belt and and then you just go you go ball and then you pay it forward and the the cycle repeats itself and and we know how long typically it takes offensive line to mature and develop right by year three by year four by year five with nebraska they've they've been really good lines historically defensive line wise though i mean it's kind of the same thing in a league as brutal as the big 10 that that's a big ask uh, now that it can't be done, and we know how good a teacher Tuioti was, and we know that, that Dawson recruited a lot of these guys before he went to the NFL, but, man, uh, you're going to need some immediacy, aren't you, here with, with Buckley and, and Black and, and Weaver? And, and Buckley came in, at least off the bus part, <laughs> looking looking ready to go. But that's, that's a tough ask. Uh, you're going to need to pray for – health from Rodgers and Robinson and, and, you know, polar bears kind of in year three of the program, but you need more than three bodies. I'm just wondering what, what the likelihood of, of getting these young guys accelerated to the point they can be more than contributors. That's a big ask. It, it is a big ask, and it's one that I think Nebraska in 2022 is really going to face it at a handful of positions. You know, I was going through kind of the class breakdown yesterday, and, you know, there's there's so many of these, these guys that, you, you know, you remember from the recruiting cycles, but <clears throat> haven't heard much about them. I mean, I think, like, 63 or so of their scholarships are sophomores, redshirt freshmen, or freshmen. Now, you're always going to be heavier, you know, uh, your scholarship breakdown on, on the underclassmen. And I know that, you know, that extra eligibility year with, with the COVID season kind of mixes up like, okay, you know, Nash, Nash Hutbucker is, is a sophomore, but as you mentioned, you know, he's got an extra year in the program. And that's the case for, for a bunch of these guys. But you're, you're going to need some of these names that maybe you haven't thought about if you're, you know, a Nebraska fan since whatever signing day they were involved with those guys are going to have to show up and, and make a splash. And you look at that on well, probably the offensive line. <laughs> if you got a couple mm-hmm. there, that, that would help you. Um, defensive line, certainly. 
And then, I mean, the secondary is, is really going to be that. I, you know, Nebraska's done well in, in adding some transfers there that can make them a little bit more experienced in that phase quickly. But Nebraska doesn't have a scholarship safety uh, who's older than a sophomore at, at this point. So, you know, you're just looking at this, it's, it's going to be, you know, you go into a, you know, a high-stakes season for Nebraska football. And you're going to need some of these these guys that you signed maybe two, three classes ago to really pop, and and not just be able to like be ready to play and contribute. You're going to need one or two of them to come in and be not like first team All Big Ten level, though you'd certainly take that, but at least in contention for for all conference type players. And and it's tough to know exactly where those are going to come from. Yeah, some unsettled positions for sure. Secondary. Um defensive line as you just laid out um you feel like you have if it just feels like you have more options offensively kind of across the board right do, do you do you feel that same way where it's like when you compare offense versus defense i feel like you don't have a lot of options at defensive line but you have a ton of them on offensive line i don't feel like you have a ton of options in the secondary but you have a lot of them at receiver it, is there anything to read into that? Or, or do you think um, that's just kind of how things have shaken out as Nebraska's hit the portal and been dealing with attrition and coaching changes and all that? Yeah, I think uh, some of it might be might be due to, you know, this group that Nebraska had last year experienced defense going into the 2021 season. You had some seniors and then you had some uh, players who were eligible to come back who opted not to. Some of it's that, but I do think you probably trace this back to just kind of the overall philosophy for the program, which has been, um, which we haven't seen consistently enough yet, is, you know, it's going to be an offense-forward approach. You know, it's, it's, they're not trying to play like Iowa or Wisconsin plays. They're, they're trying to play, you know, how they played at UCF molded to the Big Ten, which has been a, a tough adjustment. So I think some of that probably comes there. I mean, you just got a, you know, a head coach who was your de facto offensive coordinator as well up to this point. Uh, they're just going to lean offense a little bit. So I think I think there's some of that in there, too. Vogues, before we say goodbye, you're a barbecue judge. Put yourself in the world of, of dancing judges. You score Brian Kelly's, oh my God. well, whatever it's called on Twitter, a what out of 10. Worse or better than Elaine from Seinfeld? Uh, worse. There's not much worse than that. We were chatting about this uh, amongst our staff last night, and I said I would give up the opportunity to ever win a national title to not have to do that. So yeah. that's that's where that's where I'm at with it. Um, you know, I, I suppose there's an argument to be made. Like you, you got to get out there and you know do these sorts of things. Uh, the counter argument is, well, Nick Saban doesn't. So um, yeah. Not, it, I would have stayed at Notre Dame uh, if, if it meant I didn't have to do that. And I would just be like, well, we're just going to make the playoff. We're probably never going to win it, but I don't have to uh, do stupid TikTok dances. I don't have to degrade myself. <laughs> <laughs> 
that's, that's, that's a more good. direct way to put it. Yeah. Vogues, uh, give your little guy uh, a fist pound, and, and we'll uh, talk to you next week. Thanks for the time. Sounds good, guys. Thanks. Thanks, there Brandon. It, for Brandon folks that Vogel. haven't seen that. What now? Brian Kelly, head coach of LSU, is on mm-hmm. social media with recruits in the middle of the locker room. Going uh, with, Pulp like, Fiction. Yeah, with kind of like some strobe lights and things like that. Uh, he's like trying to dance and be cool along with the recruit. It's just those two. Mm. Kelly is behind the player and they're just kind of like club dancing Mm. for like a minute, minute and a half as the camera circles around them. uh, I don't know if I've seen a head coach look more like a buffoon. (laughs) Now he, Look, Brian Kelly sold his soul a long time ago. I think he's given off that vibe to many yeah. people, right? But now it's just like it's confirmed. This is strike two. First is the accent or the the the, the manufactured accent during halftime of basketball. Yeah, where he's like thick Kennedy Boston accent where he grew up to trying to bring a little twang to it, and, and now he's we? yeah yeah now he's yeah. dancing like a goon. It's bad, but watch. He'll watch. He'll bring home some titles. We're, we're, and then... we're talking about him. Lane Kiffin tweeted at him. Did you lose a bet? Yeah. Nick Saban's going. I. I mean, Nick, there's video of Nick Saban doing like the electric slide in a recruit's house from a few years back. But Nick knew how to dance. This is just a guy that's really in in a player's bubble. Breathing too closely, too heavily, too close to a player. And then he's doing the John Travolta kind of eye triangle, whatever, from Pulp Fiction. The best I can describe it. I I suck at dancing, so no shock or breaking news there. But I, whoever talked him into this, I don't know if you can put a... This may be the first time there's no such thing as bad publicity. Being challenged. Yeah. (laughs) And we'll see. Mm. We'll see. But I just think no matter who you are at LSU, you can always bring in recruits. You You don't need to do this. (laughs) You you don't have – exactly. You don't have to do that to land recruits at LSU. No, you can be a whack job like like, uh, the Mad Hatter. You can can be Go Tigers, right? You can be that guy. And now here's Coach Kelly. I mean, you, you've got to be kind of a average to bad coach to not win nine games at LSU. Yeah, you're going to get players. There's plenty <laughs> of default. local guys that want to be at LSU. Right. Plenty of talent. I just, don't think you, I just don't think you need to do it, but whatever. Now, let's uh, get the Iron Horse going. We'll take a timeout. Gary Sharp, when we come back, the weekend edition. Hail Varsity Radio presented by the Nebraska Lottery. To rise with Hale Varsity Radio, the voice of Husker Nation. Here's Chris Schmidt and Mark Cranach. Thanks for spending time. Weekend edition continues. It's Hale Varsity Radio presented by the Nebraska Lottery. Chris Schmidt, Mark Cranach, Will Wilson in today. We say hi to the Iron Horse, Gary Sharp. Sharpie, what's good this weekend? You fired up about tomorrow? Yeah, you know, it's like the calm before the storm. It is. Are you going down? I am not going to be in attendance. I'm trying to trying to save up for the expensive trip, possibly to the Super Bowl, 
which may have the home team in Los Angeles and definitely a California team. I don't think the ticket prices will go up at all. No. Uh, look at you. Look at you thinking long term. You want to go to the Super Bowl, not the uh, – well, last weekend would have been one for the ages, maybe the one for the ages to see. And, uh, man, just just incredible. And uh, before we get to some Oscar baseball and some hoops and some football, uh, you're a big Chiefs fan. You've been a big Chiefs fan pre-Akoya Akoya era. You're a Marty Ball guy. <laughs> uh, I don't know if you were in the, uh, the, the, the you know the John Makovic era or not, but you know we'll uh, we'll figure that out later. Uh, how are you watching that game? Do you watch with friends or do you isolate yourself? And were you uh, were you a mess? No, I, I usually watch Chiefs games. If I'm not at Arrowhead, I usually watch them by myself. And I think that was a good game to watch by yourself uh, because of all the emotion that went into that game. Like, I went from, okay, they could have won to they should have won to, oh, my God, they won. It was just it was a, it was an incredible game with two great quarterbacks that at the end of the game, defenses couldn't stop them. And that's why the NFL wins. I mean, you saw the monster TV ratings in Kansas City, Buffalo, and the country. We're addicted to football, and that was about as good as I can remember in my lifetime. I mean, there's a couple of other games, but just the back and forth and the ridiculousness of that game between two great quarterbacks. So I, I don't know what's going to happen tomorrow at 2 o'clock. I don't know that you can match that or exceed it. Uh, I just want to win. That's all I care. I know everybody loves Zach Taylor. They love them for Joe Burrow. I don't care for one day. They're dead to me. <laughs> <laughs> Gary Sharp is with wow. us on Hill Varsity Radio. And, well, then they can come know, back to life on Monday if, as sure. long as they lose. <laughs> yeah. We got we got a couple of uh, guys that are vying to be Chiefs that have maybe a better chance now. Um, a couple of Huskers that have been added to the NFL Combine. Um, so what do we have total now at the Combine? We got there's there's four right because yeah. there's there's already Cam Taylor, Britt, JoJo Doman, and then we have Austin Allen added and who's, who's Cam the Jurgens. Oh, Cam Jurgens. Cam yep. Jurgens. Of those four, Gary. Because it's not without precedent. Lamar Jackson got invited to the Combine, didn't get drafted, right? Do, do all four of those guys get drafted? Who goes first? Who's left out? Where, how, do, how would you stack those guys going into the well, I, NFL draft? I, I think there's a pretty good chance that three will get drafted. And I think you would go Cam Jurgens first off the board. Then I would probably go Austin Allen, JoJo Doman, and then Cam Taylor Britt. Really? Okay, I, so back up there, because I think some would presume you could put Taylor Britt at the top of that list, just athletically and how he's going to test. Um, what, why, why do you have Cam Taylor Britt last? Why do you have Jurgens first? Well, I think Jurgens is a center. People will see his athleticism. athleticism. He, he might not play center in the pros. He may move over and play guard. I just think when he tests and when he does individual stuff and teams watch film, they're going to see a very athletic center or an athletic lineman that could play center or guard. I mean, we could have an NFL draft where the number one center in the country goes fifth overall. So there's some attention towards that position and getting that position right. And I think Cam is in a good spot with his athleticism and the position that he plays and the versatility that he could add. I think on the back end, Cam Taylor-Britt, I think people are going to look at his size right away, and that's going to hurt him. Now, Cam Taylor-Burt's going to get an opportunity to make an NFL roster. I don't know that he's going to get drafted. Um, and then JoJo Doman is playing a position in that hybrid, which is becoming more popular with certain teams. 
you know, the last two guys, I mean, I think we're all in agreement that Jurgens and Allen are going to get drafted. Mm-hmm. The last two guys, it's all going to be about timing on who needs their particular type of player and where they are in the drafting. I mean, it would be ideal for Nebraska to get four, maybe even five guys drafted if you could throw in a Daniels. Um, but I, I think at least two guys, and it would be good for Nebraska if Jurgens could get drafted on the second day. Gary Sharps with us, Hale Varsity Radio Weekend Edition. Sharpie, let's uh, talk spring football and why will the line be different under Donovan Raiola? What, what's your what's your thought and what's your insight to, to what he can bring to enhance the O line? Okay, can I interject there real quick? Sorry, I've read now multiple times his style is so different. <laughs> He does things so much differently than other coaches. And I'm not denying that's true, but I'm like, how? Why? What are you talking about? Like, how yeah, is it different? Because that's been that's been like a common thread from both players, coaches that have talked about it. Like, whoa, he his style is way different. How? Do you do you know? Do we know that yet, Gary? Well, I know a little bit, and he's and Donovan's a wild card because we don't know what he's gonna be like first time coaching in college. Is he undertaking an offensive line that doesn't have a lot of talent, or is there talent that needs to be tapped? So I've asked the same question because the, the, the phrase, a different approach, and I think it probably is more the feedback I'm getting. It's more of a professional uh, way to go about things and how they do their work and the competition and what they're asking them to do amongst themselves before they get together. And then I think the other part of it is different approach or not, much-needed approach that they are instilling – toughness like competition all the single time to increase that toughness that is there i mean i think his goal in the spring is to not only get a solid five seven figure out where some of his injured linemen are some of his linemen that can play a couple of different positions i think he needs to establish that this is all business and this is an intense group that is going to be what you need them to be so that's kind of what i think he has brought which is a little alarming if that wasn't there before but every offensive line coach, they've got their core of basics, and then they have their own personality. And I think Donovan's personality is very pro, very businesslike, and maybe that suits this offensive line really well instead of being willy-nilly, not knowing what role they're playing or when they're going to play. He seems pretty quiet and intense, at least just in the, in the snapshot we got with him, and that's not a knock. It's just an observation where you've got a pretty intense stare and few words, but he answers your questions, you know, and I think he'll he'll connect um, with with the kids, and it's a new voice. We'll see if the, the performance gets uh, gets better. Gary Sharp's with us. Sharpie, let's talk Nebraska baseball. Uh, Will Bolt met the media yesterday. Oscar baseball underway. Uh, we're, we're just a few weeks removed from or away from uh, – things getting rolling down in texas for the big red and we we hear expectations we know what's been lost we know what returns what's your view on big red baseball specifically in the big 10 and then beyond is is this team uh talented enough to make another run in the league and and beyond the league this year oh more than more than a doubt they are uh to chance to repeat as a big 10 champion I think people need to be, and there's a lot of momentum and excitement, and rightfully so, especially coming off last year's regional down in Fayetteville, and then the talent that has been added. But you got to keep in mind, 
Nebraska lost some very talented players last year. Mm-hmm. They lost their closer. They lost their Friday night starter. They lost, you know, some bats in their lineup. So it's going to be, I think, a little bit of a slow start as people figure out their roles. Like Kyle Perry, is he your Friday night guy? And what a story that would be coming back from Tommy John, the Millard South product. You know, um, can Bryce Matthews and Max Anderson take the next step? I'm buying all the stock in the world on Bryce Matthews. So it may be a thing where maybe as the season unfolds, Nebraska gets off to a slow start, and they're figuring out who's the guy and what the lineup is going to look like, and then they hit their stride, and that's when I really think they take off. I think hosting a regional has to be the first goal, but you know, once you get that first goal, all things can happen. But, you know, Nebraska baseball, probably with the excitement, comes along at the right time for men's athletics at Nebraska. You know, it's going to be interesting what happens with the staff for sure, really at a lot of positions, but especially on the staff. feels like you have a lot of potential there. There's And there's, you know, Gomez coming back after a couple of years with, you know, surgery and um, COVID and all that. But uh, I'm, I'm curious about some of the new guys. You know, we were very excited about Christo. In the fall, he was a little wild. What, what are you hearing about his progression and do you think he's firmly in the mix this year drew Christo out of Elkhorn well I think that would be ideal that before the end of the year is over he's pitching in important games I think the best thing that happened to Drew is he was terrible in the fall I mean he got lit up and they kind of said all right you have dominated in high school we're going up a level let's see you adjust and you know he he gave up some some long distance home runs during spring uh, fall ball but I think that was okay because then he can readjust. But there is no denying that Drew Christo has a magical right arm that will be pitching in big games for Nebraska. And, and that's a good point, Mark, is Will and, and, and the rest of his staff, they have enough talent that they can plug in some guys to see what, you know, situational baseball, how they react. And Drew Christo is one of those guys. What's going to be his role? Weekend starter? midweek at the beginning to get some innings under his belt is he going to come out of the bullpen how they use him I, I think probably you feel comfortable because of roles that were established last year with Jeff Christie as a pitching coach guys knew what they were doing and they fit into him I think the Friday night starter is the big one we're gonna you know we take for granted a little bit Kate Povich was really really good he got you to that sense of oh Kate's on the mound we either got a chance or we're going to win this game. Can If it is Kyle Perry, can he give Nebraska that same kind of confidence? Hey, if we only score a run or two, we still got Kyle on the mound on a Friday night against their best starter. We're going to be fine. Sharby, get a switch to Nebraska basketball. Uh, of course, uh, Chucky come back, came back to town and <laughs> tough week for him. But, man, was he nails on Thursday. And you get the outcry of all the in-state talent that's defected and I don't blame them. <laughs> uh, and then you have uh, the, the same typical loss for Nebraska basketball where they're competitive, and then there's a lull, and there's just uh, some, some tough decisions made on the court. And here comes Rutgers again, and the outcry continues to get louder, and the crowd continues to shrink. Uh, what do you think about today's matchup against Rutgers? Well, you could say, well, you gotta, it's a must win. How about it's a game where Nebraska has to look different? You know, that's the yeah. problem with Nebraska yeah. basketball is if, you, if you've only gone to two games this year, if you went to the opener against Western Illinois and then you came back and you went to the matinee against Wisconsin, you might have looked at the person you came to the game with and said, God, that's the same team that played back on November 9th. How is that possible? 
And that's a scary thing because that was a team that was not a finished product, and they're still searching for what an offense looks like so it doesn't look like five guys got picked up at the rec center and thrown on the floor and said, hey, let's hoop. Or situational basketball, time and score, when to take a shot, what is a good shot, not a, not a good shot. Or when Nebraska gets into these runs where they are playing well, how do they continue that momentum? And then how do they avoid that stretch of bad basketball for eight to ten minutes where they don't score and the defense gets leaky, and the next thing you know, Wisconsin's on a 35-16 run. It's, you know, you're at the point of, okay, what's going to be different next year, I feel. And Fred's become a pinata. You know, Fred doesn't have a lot of support in the inner circle. Um, he's not a Nebraska guy, but he's a guy that everybody thought this is the answer. And for some reason, and there's a lot of them, Nebraska basketball just has not been able to get over the hump and get something rolling. Um, I think they play different today. You know, the line is short against Rutgers. Rutgers, really, if they're trying to get in the NCAA tournament, they can't have a Nebraska loss on the resume. I think it'll be a pretty intense game. Uh, and I'll be curious to see the next step of Trey McGowan's, what he's doing with another game under his belt. Because he, he took down Johnny Davis, who might win the National Player of the Year. They just need more of that and something, and they need to shoot better to overcome their lack of uh, offensive rebounding. Gary Sharp with us on Hale Varsity Radio. Gary, at, at this point, you know, Fred Hoiberg couldn't do it. Uh, Barry Collier couldn't. Doc couldn't. Tim Miles couldn't. No one can get a win in the NCAA tournament. The, the program is among the worst in the Power Five, if not the worst. Is it, is it administrative? Uh, is it... Like, if you were to pick the one thing at why Nebraska ball is terrible, <laughs> what is it? What is it? We've tried all kinds of coaches, all kinds of approaches. Fix it, facility. Sharpie. Like, Fix it, Sharpie. What is it? Well, like, seriously, what does Nebraska part, not get when it comes to hoops? Well, it comes down to coaching, roster construction, recruiting, relationships, um, you know, Everything. Not catching lightning in a bottle. You know, Miles had that. He caught lightning in a bottle. They went to the NCAA tournament, but the following year couldn't continue it. You can recruit to Nebraska. You can build a roster at Nebraska. And you can win at Nebraska. You can't say, well, I won an NCAA game. There's a lot of resources that are at your fingertips at Nebraska. You play in an NBA arena. You've got an ardent fan support that even in bad basketball, 15 grand are coming. Now there's bad basketball and people are stopped coming, which is scary. Uh, and you've got a, a, a great training facility. I just, you know, we all looking for answers. I think the bottom line is roster construction and development during the course of the year. And we also see how important it is to have a very good staff, a staff that can develop players, can recruit players, and can help with the, you know, the ups and downs. And then, you know, what is, we all thought Fred was going to work. I mean, we thought Fred was the guy, and it's still amazing to me that it has not worked here, but there's glaring reasons. Roster construction. His staff, I don't think, is very good um, from top to bottom. He's got a couple of good assistants, but he needs better. And, you know, accountability. That's, that's what's going to be the bottom line, guys. The players are trying to hold the coach accountable, but is he holding the players accountable? Mm. And that's not just a this year thing of Kobe Webster, not a slip of the tongue. I mean, this is a this is a definite concern, and and I don't know where it's going. And there's a lot of people that you know pay money to be a season ticket holder that had their tickets up this year, wondering the same thing. But it's amazing because we all thought Fred would work. 
Gary Sharp with us. Uh, Hale Varsity Radio Weekend. Sharpie, uh, enjoy your weekend, bud. Have a good call, and, and we'll talk next week. Thanks for your time, buddy. Hey, thanks, guys. Thanks, Gary. There he is, Gary Sharp. Look at you asking Sharpie to fix Husker basketball. <laughs> yeah, I asked him to do that. I asked Brandon to do that, too. Uh, Brandon, have, have a good weekend, brother. Enjoy the weather. Enjoy your football, Will Wilson. Much uh, appreciation to you. Basketball later today for me over on KFOR Southwest. Omaha Central girls, boys, doubleheader at three. Have a great weekend. Thank you.